Welcome to the Christian Ministries Church Podcast. My name is Josh Barnett. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. We're praying that this message equips and empowers you to live in the kingdom of God. We'll turn to um, Genesis chapter 22. We're going to dive in here tonight. Um, Isaac, a lot of times, is overlooked because there's so much about his dad and his son. There's not a whole lot about him. There's a lot about Abraham, a lot about Jacob. We hear oftentimes about the patriarchs that he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but don't know a whole lot about Isaac except that his dad tried to stab him one time, you know? So, but he is, obviously if he's a patriarch, he's mentioned over and over again also in the New Testament. Um, He's mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 20, there's a verse that says, by faith, Isaac passed on the promise to his sons, Esau and Jacob. And, uh... So he's very important. He's one of the patriarchs, very important uh, part of the faith. And, and, I, and we've seen earlier that his name means to laugh. Uh, it was kind of a prophetic rebuke to Abraham and Sarah because they both laughed about having a child in their own age, but then later brought them so much joy that there was laughter um, because they have this kid in their old age. It's just kind of funny, just in their, you know, their laughter and their unbelief of that's not going to happen. And then their laughter and unbelief of like, I can't believe this happened. So he's, uh, you know, he brought them much joy. Isaac is a lot different than his mom and dad. He's a lot different than his mom and dad, even a lot different than his wife that we'll see later on. A lot different than his, even his sons. He was mild. He was quiet. He was pretty even tempered. Isaac shows us what I really want to talk about tonight is Isaac shows us faith by his meekness. He shows us faith by his meekness. Matthew 5, 5 says, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. And I I believe that there is less written about Isaac because he never sought to make a great name for himself, that he never sought out great exploits, that he simply trusted God to move him into the promise that had been given to him and his family. To, now, when we hear meek to the world and our fleshly nature, meek to us is to be weak or to the world, but, but in the kingdom, meekness is strength. It's the ability to submit intelligently, humbly, and willingly to authority. You know, our natural inclinations, our fleshly inclinations are to fight, rebel, have control over our own lives. So meekness takes faith. Meekness takes faith to believe that the promises of God are going to come true without me forcing them to come true. I don't have to strive, claw, or fight my way into them. I can turn my other cheek. I can lay down on the cross. Meekness takes more strength than fighting back. It's easy if somebody slaps me that I pop them back. That's easy. That's my natural response. It actually takes more strength for me to be under control. So strength, meekness is strength under control. I think about, um, I think about a, 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 a horse that's been trained, that is healthy, that is under control, does a lot more good than a horse that is wild and malnourished and out of control. To be meek is a willingness to submit and work under proper authority. It also shows a willingness to disregard one's own rights and privileges. It is, it's one thing for me to admit my spiritual bankruptcy, but what if someone else does it? Do I react meekly when people come against me? We can only be meek and willing to control our desire for our rights and privileges because we are confident that God watches out for us, that he will protect our cause that the promise that the meek shall inherit the earth proves God will not allow his meek ones to end up on the short end of the deal. 
To be meek simply is to trust God in his promises, in his timing. That's the hard part. Now, Isaac was a great man of meek faith, but he was not perfect. He lied about his wife, (laughs) made the same mistake that his dad did. He showed favoritism towards Esau. He even tried to grant the blessing to Esau, knowing that it was meant for Jacob, but he was a man of meek faith. He was a patient and humble believer of God. He was reverent. He was long-suffering. He had confident trust in his God. And I, I, one of the reasons I think this message is supposed, so special tonight, because I think oftentimes when we think about faith, we think about moving mountains and we think about walking on water and we think about raising the dead and we think about healing the sick and casting out demons, you know, the real mountain moving types of faith. But oftentimes faith can look like being patient. It can look like long suffering. It can look like being gentle and kind. It can look like not demanding your way, not forcing your way, not fighting the way your flesh wants to fight not speaking when you want to speak. Isaac was a man of meek faith. And I'm gonna give us five points tonight if you're taking notes and wanna write these down. Number one is it takes a meek faith to lay your life on the altar. It takes a meek faith to lay your life on the altar. And that's why I had you turn to Genesis chapter 22 because this is all about Abraham sacrificing Isaac. Verse three says the next morning, Abraham got up early. He saddled his donkey, took two of his servants with him along with his own son, Isaac. He chopped the, the wood for fire, burnt offering, set out for the place God had told him on the third day of the journey. Abraham looked up, saw the place in the distance. Stay here with the donkeys. Abraham told his servants, the boy and I will travel a little farther. We will worship there. Then we will come right back. So Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders. So Little key here, Isaac probably wasn't five. If he had to carry the wood up the mountain, he probably wasn't a little child. (laughs) He had to carry it for his old dad who was pushing 100 or over 100 already. So they go a little farther while he was, he carried the fire and the knife as the two of them walked together. Isaac turned to Abraham and said, father, Yes, my son, Abraham replied, we have fire and wood, but where is the sheep for the burnt offering? That is a great question. If it's just you and dad going up a little bit further and Abraham says, God will provide. And they both walked on together. They get there. Then he tied his son, Isaac, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Isaac was not a boy when this happened. They calls him boy, but boy just meant younger man. Isaac, scholars believe that Isaac was anywhere from the ages of 18 to 37. Josephus, the Jewish historian, was pretty confident that he was 25. So Isaac willingly let his father, who was an elderly man, tie him up and lay him down and raise a knife to him. I don't know about you, but I'd be like, Dad, you're crazy. You've lost your mind. I'm going to push you down and I'm going to run away from you and you can't catch me, right? Um, (laughs) This took a meek faith in order to trust in his earthly father and his heavenly father to lay his life on the altar. He was old enough to notice there was no animal sacrifice. He understood how how it worked. He was old enough to make this three-day journey to help his father to carry the wood up the mountain. And obviously we see lots of types and shadows here. Abraham represents the father. You know, Isaac represents Jesus to the point where he's willing to lay his life down and then represents man when he's removed from the altar and the ram takes his place. But we see many types and shadows here. Um, It's also the place where Christ was crucified. It was on Mount Moriah. 
Isaac really even could have been the exact same age as Christ when this happened. But in order for this to happen, he had to be in agreement with his father for this to happen. Just as Jesus was in agreement with his father to lay on the cross. We ourselves must have a meek faith where we lay ourselves on the altar, our very lives down in obedience to him, trusting that he is Jehovah Jireh and he is going to provide all that we need. The only command, and you've heard me preach before, you probably heard me say this, the only command that is found in all four gospels is deny yourself, take up your cross and follow after me. If any man seeks to save his life, he will lose it. But if any man loses his life for my sake, he will find true life. And it, that takes a meekness to follow him. When he says, take up your cross, follow me. It's like, we're going up this hill to be crucified. It takes meekness to lay down my dreams and my ambitions because here's the deal with Isaac. He was old enough to know I'm the son of the promise. I'm the son of the promise. It's all coming through me. I'm next up. Dad's getting elderly. Not going to make it a little bit longer. I'm younger. He's passing it on to me. It's me. I'm the, I'm the patriarch now. But wait, now you know, now you're going to, we're going to lay you on the altar and we're going to sacrifice you to the Lord. That took a meek faith, but it's, it's, it's amazing that he didn't fight this. He trusts his father and he trusts God. And he has this heart posture as if this is what God asked for, then this is what I'm going to give. And that takes a meek faith. But I want to say this too, as we lay our lives down for the Lord, just like Isaac did here, what we get in return far outweighs anything that we lay down. What we get from the Lord far outweighs anything that we have to lay down because we get him. And I promise you that first second of glory is going to be worth everything that you ever had to lay down. Okay. Takes a meek faith to lay down. Number two, it takes a meek faith to submit to authority. It takes a meek faith to submit to authority. And we actually see a couple different times where obviously he submitted to his father here, but even you go a couple chapters later, the, and uh, it's interesting, Genesis chapter 24 is the longest chapter in Genesis. And Isaac is really only in the chapter at the very end. The whole chapter is about his father sending a servant back to his, about Abraham sending his servant back to his father's homeland to find a wife for Isaac. And so the long, it's kind of cool. The longest chapter of Genesis is about marriage. And it was about a dad picking out a spouse for his son and telling him like he can't marry one of these Canaanite women because they're crazy and they're evil. <laughs> go, you got to go back and get him a spouse. And this is interesting because at this time, by the time Isaac marries Rebecca, he was 40 years old, 40 years old, not married yet. So he had to wait on his father because it, back, it was different then. Had a lot more arranged marriages kind of going on back then. It was normal. And so he had to wait on his father to pick out a spouse. And when, when Abraham sends his servant back to his father's homeland, it was a 900-mile journey. He didn't hop on a Southwest flight and get there, right? He didn't load up in the minivan and go find him. No, he actually takes 10 camels, 900 miles to go find Rebecca, which is, so that would have taken a long time. We're talking about months about months that this happens and it's amazing Isaac submits to this process he doesn't bump his father's authority he doesn't give into impatience so that and, and 
and just seeing like this is a very big deal that it takes a whole chapter to describe this process about who he was going to marry. Also, again, I love the type and shadows that we see here because the servant represents us going to find the bride to bring to the groom. Okay, so that's really, I love this too. And then when they get there and he meets Rebecca, he tells, he basically, so he, get, he meets Rebecca and then he goes and meets with Rebecca's brother and father. And they're like, yes, absolutely, she can do that, but let her stay here 10 more days. And he says, don't delay me any longer. I've got to get back to my master. And he says, well, let's ask Rebecca. And Rebecca says, yes, I'll go now. And so he literally shows up, grabs her, turns right back around and heads out 900 miles back home and that and that is that's the call of salvation today is the day of salvation you don't put it off until you sow your wild oats you don't put it off until you've got your belly full it's like when the lord calls you go now that's the calling that is on uh, each and everyone's life so I, I love that the groom is ready now the kingdom is at hand now there's no time to waste but i love again you get to the very end and then we see Isaac at the end of the story and he gets to go marry Rebecca. It's right after his mom dies. It says that she comforts him. Um, and so now he's, you know, he's wed. But, but again, 40 years old before he is even wed. In chapter 26, we have this story where Isaac is, he's married now. Severe famine hits the land. So he has to go live in the Philistine lands. And he lives under this guy named uh, Abimelech. This is one part where he blows it lies he's worried about because it says that Rebecca's very beautiful he lies says it's his sister because he's worried they'll kill him and take her and then one day Abimelech looks out and he sees Isaac caressing her and he's like you usually don't treat your sister that way it's kind of weird um and so he says you lied you lied it, well, what, if we had if we had taken her and slept with her then we, you would have caused us to be in a great sin and God would have destroyed us and and he's like you're right I lied I'm sorry well and he, but he permits him to live there and he gets very wealthy and very powerful. He was already wealthy and powerful because Abraham was already wealthy and powerful, but he just grows and grows and grows. And then Abimelech is like, Hey man, you're too strong for us. We need you to roll out. But Isaac, and this is where I want to show you the meekness come into play. Isaac doesn't say, no, God's given me this land. I'm going to fight you for it. Isaac says, okay. And he rolls out. He submits to the governing authority of the land because remember, Abraham and Isaac and even Jacob, they kind of lived as foreigners in this land. They were in the land of Canaan, but it wasn't conquered yet. It was still lots of other nation groups of people that were living in this place that hadn't been driven out. So they're kind of inheriting land, which I love, through being meek. The meek shall inherit the earth. And so, but I love that he leaves and we can learn things from this too. Titus 3, 1 says, remind the believers to submit to the government and officers. They should be obedient, always ready to do what is good. They must not slander anyone, avoid quarreling. Instead, they should be gentle and show true humility to everyone. Romans 13, 1, every mu everyone must submit to governing authorities for all authority comes from God and those in positions of authority have been placed there by 2, 13 and 14. For the Lord's sake, submit to all authority, whether the king is the head of the state or officials has been appointed for the king has been sent to punish those who do wrong and honor those who do who does right it is god's will that your honorable life should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you it's interesting too when he's there he actually uncovers these wells that were abraham's and the philistines come in and they fill them in which back then that was an act of war because water was really really important you didn't just go turn the sink on 
You just get a cup of water out of the refrigerator. And you had animal. I talked about the camels earlier. Camels could drink 20 gallons of water at one time. And so wells were very, very important. And they filled these things in. And instead of retaliating, Isaac says, okay, I'll take my people and we'll move. And he actually, well, we'll get there. Hang on. I'm getting ahead of myself. <laughs> but we live in a time where many people see submitting to authority as weakness. And submitting to authority isn't weakness. There's actually strength in being meek. And, li- and I'm not talking about following authority blindly, but I'm talking about, so when, when, when you've got Peter and Paul and Titus writing these different, when you've got them writing these different things, they're not saying submit to authority blindly, but if they have laws that don't break God's law, then we should obey that law. And, and that's why he says like, you know, in, in Romans 13, Paul says that God uses the authority of the government to punish those who do evil. And so like, if you're doing evil things, God is going to, and you get arrested for it, God is using civil government to, to enact judgment and consequences on those who are doing wrong. So it's not wrong, you know, it's not wrong to submit to authority. We live in a culture that has a really hard time with authority. It chafes us, it, wrong, it rubs us the wrong way, but we've got to understand authority is a necessary part of life. It's a necessary part of life. We're, you're never going to go anywhere that somebody's not in charge. You're not. You're not going to go anywhere anywhere that somebody is not in charge right now in this building somebody's in charge and if things go wrong what's the first first thing the thing you ask who's in charge around here (laughs) right it always like I love not being the number one guy because if something goes wrong guess who I get to blame (laughs) it was him that go talk to that man right there (laughs) but because there's somebody in charge right you go to a restaurant you have a bad experience talk to a manager you know, wherever you go, there's, there is authority. We need authority. Authority is necessary in order for society, in order for church, in order for relationships to work. Uh, so everything, everything, and everybody bows to an authority. Everybody bows to an authority. We all have authority in our life instead of bucking it and rebelling against it. And that's why, you know, you even, uh, uh, Jesus talking about if a Roman officer comes and asks you to carry his stuff one mile, carry it too. Don't buck him and fight with him over it. Carry it too, because he's showing us there's a better way to live. There's a meek way to live. And by doing these good things, you're going to show the goodness and love and grace and mercy of God. And who knows, by your good deeds, you may win over that authority. You'll win over that authority by honoring them. uh, First Timothy 2. I urge you, first of all, pray for all people, ask God to help them, intercede on their behalf, give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. I love the story in, uh, in 1 Samuel chapter 24, David and Saul. My goodness, if somebody had an excuse not to submit to authority, it was David. Pastor Tim has never thrown spears at me, never chased me through the wilderness, Right? <clears throat> not yet anyway we'll see <laughs> but he so David and his men are hiding in a cave Saul is out on the hunt trying to kill David comes into the cave to relieve himself picks the cave out of all the caves that David and his men are in David comes they're like you can take him you can and he just cuts off a corner of his robe well he gets so tore up that he touched the king's anointed one because he he said it's not my place to remove the Lord's one I'll let the Lord move it so you even see this meekness from David what's he do he runs out to Saul the guy that's trying to kill you to repent to him to ask for forgiveness but that meekness that David showed in that moment so overwhelmed Saul that Saul called David's son and says I can't believe I've been treating you this way 
I am so sorry. And obviously Saul goes crazy again, but in this moment, you've got this little bit of reconciliation because David was meek. He was a man with strength that was under control, who was submitting to even a guy like Saul. Now, at the end of chapter 26 and leading, in, leading into my next point, number three, number three, it takes a meek faith to avoid conflict. It takes a meek faith to avoid conflict. So my guy, just he digging wells and uncovering wells and wells getting filled in. That's just, that is the most that we get of Isaac's story is he's, he digs wells and they get filled in and it's just, it's not going good for him. So that, that's what we remember about Isaac is his well story. So, um, so he moves out of the Philistine land and moves into this other land and begins to dig more wells, even if has a well that has a natural spring in it, which is like gold, like that's awesome. And these guys come in and take them from him. And like, you can't have these. And instead of saying, all right, big boy, saddle up. Let's go, me and you, all right? We'll meet at sundown tomorrow. We'll take 10 paces, right? You know, it, he doesn't do that. He says, okay, that's fine. And he moves along, which is so counterintuitive that he didn't fight over these. He could have, and he chose not to. He was powerful enough to put up a fight and he chose not to. But I love, listen, Again, he's a type and shadow of Jesus because Jesus could have put up a fight and he chose not to. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 53, he looks at Peter and says, I could ask my father right now to send 10,000 angels down and he would do it. But this is not the time nor the place. And so, and I'm not encouraging us to be doormats, like we're not getting walked over. But, but Jesus does talk about in Matthew chapter five. You have heard, it, heard the law says the punishment must match the injury. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But I say, don't resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. If you're sued in court and your shirt is taken, give your coat too. If a soldier demands you carry his gear, I said that while ago, give to those who ask, don't turn away from those who bother. And, you go, and then he goes on later, pray for the, your enemies, or love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. And so there's this meek, humble humility that God is asking his followers to walk in that we see from Isaac here. What's the point of all of this? It's because we win these people over with good. Jesus didn't come as a conquering king with a, with a sword in his hand and slaughtering all the bad guys. He came as a humble servant. Why does God want us to love our enemies? Because even our enemies, he wants them to be his children because at one time you and I were also enemies of God. And it's our responsibility now to show the grace, goodness, and love of God to a lost and dying world who are the enemies of God so that they can, be, can become friends of God. We've been given that ministry reconciliation. And it's not going to look like us going out and getting swords and guns and killing all the evildoers. It's going to look like us when someone insults us for our faith. When someone curses you, when someone spits at you, when someone taunts you, when someone tries to fight you, that you choose the higher road. And it's a lot harder to choose the high road than it is to just fight back. There's a better way. But, you know, amazing that, that the Lord empowers us to do that. First Peter 3, 9 says, don't repay evil for evil. Don't re retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God has called you to do. And he will grant you a blessing. Proverbs 15.1, a gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. Proverbs 25, 21, 22, if your enemies are hungry, give them food to eat. If they're thirsty, give them water to drink. You will heap burning coals of shame on their heads and the Lord will reward you. Romans 12.21, 
Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. So Isaac, he simply moved and dug new wells. He, he moved and dug new wells and God moved him right where he wanted him to be. I love the name that he gave the last well, Rehoboath, meaning that God had made room for him. God had made room for him. Remember, he traveled to a land of the Philistines because his land was in famine, but then he stayed there. Perhaps God was using the enemy to move him back to where he had called him to be. And he could have fought tooth and nail to take that land, maybe that wasn't necessarily his at the time, but for a later generation. And God was moving him back to where he was supposed to be. But, you know, that's where we've got to trust the Lord. You know, sometimes God is going to close doors that you kicked in. Sometimes he's going to fill in wells that you opened up. Because that's not what he has for you at this moment. Sometimes even when it's lucrative. Sometimes God is going to cause that relationship to end because it may, the, the timing may not be right or it may not be the person that he has for you. And he may close that door on that business deal or on that job or on that house or what. He may close the door on it because it's not time yet. And, or he's got somewhere else for you to be. And it may not look as grand. The number may not be as big. The promotion may get lost. But I'm telling you, you can keep the promotion. I want my joy. I want my peace. I want love in my home. I don't want to live stressed out because I tried to force it to happen. So it takes a meek faith to avoid the conflict. The meek will inherit the earth. God, James 4, 6, God resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. Living by faith in the kingdom will turn the hearts of your enemies towards you. Because I love what happens at the end of chapter 26. They come to him. This is like, uh, verse, this is like verse 26, 26, 26 through the end of chapter 26 uh, through verse 33. They come to him. The Philistine who kicked him out comes to him and says, we can see how blessed you are. We can see God's favor on your life. We want to make a treaty with you. We want to have an oath of peace with you. And they throw a party. Dude, you just kicked me out of your land. And Isaac even says like, why are you coming to me? I know that you hate me. You despise me because you removed me from your land. But then you see, because he was meek, it turned the hearts of his enemy towards him so much so that they said like, hey, let's do business together. Hey, let's make an oath together. Hey, let's have a treaty of peace. Hey, let's throw a party. Hey, let's trade. Hey, let's do all these things. God's way is always better. And it may not look like it's going to turn out the way we want it to right away, but I promise you it's going to turn out so much better than we ever thought it would have or we ever could have made it ourselves. God consistently overcomes evil with good. It's the goodness of God that leadeth men into repentance. Number four. Number four, this goes into chapter 27. You've got the story about Jacob stealing Esau's blessing. And, and, and this is one point I want to say that, that meek, Meek faith doesn't play favorites. Meek faith doesn't play favorites. Because he favored Esau, even though he knew the promise for Jacob. Right? When Rebecca was pregnant and she was just awful sick because the twins were moving so much 
And he said, you've got two nations in your belly that are basically warring against each other, but the, the older will serve the younger. So God chooses, I don't know why, just sovereignly chooses that Jacob is going to be the promised one. Isaac knows this and he goes against it. We actually even see it early on that Isaac favored his son Esau because Esau, he was a manly man. He was a hunter. He did all those things. Jacob was more like me. He lived among the tents and he had smooth skin, right? You know, I just, I, I don't know. I'm not that manly. Um, I'm not that good of a hunter. I tried to kill something this year and didn't. I don't, you know, I tried, but it didn't happen. So, um, but hey, God chose that guy. So, <laughs> Well, we're not, meek faith doesn't play favorites. Here, well, here's the problem with playing favorites in our own life is that we pick and choose based on what we think people can do for us. I'm gonna choose the most gifted. I'm gonna choose the most talented. I'm gonna choose the one that's attractive. I'm gonna choose the ones that can do things for me all while looking at scripture and going, that's not the way that God ever works. Did something, the easy example for me to think is that Saul was because the people wanted a king. And so he gave him a king that looked the part. Well, looking the part doesn't mean that you can do the part. And so then God chose someone that said, I have rejected his appearance. He's a short, ruddy kid, right? And so even here you see God choosing Jacob, right? The smooth skin mama's boy. And it's like, that doesn't make sense at all. It's like, because God always, he doesn't look on the outward appearance. He looks at the heart. He's looking for hearts who are after his. So we can, we've got to refuse to play favorites. Fathers playing favorites causes rivalries and division among the brothers. Our heavenly father doesn't play favorites. And one thing that Esau didn't recognize is that my father doesn't have the capacity to bless us both, but my heavenly father does. Your heavenly father has the capacity to bless everybody. He doesn't play favorites with his sons. God, so we see here, <laughs> even though he tried to buck God's will, this is one of the mistakes that he made, God sovereignly intervened and then then when Esau comes back and they, and he hears, and it says that Isaac begins to tremble and he doesn't begin to tremble because, uh, oh no, like Esau's going to be really mad that I, that I gave it to Jacob. He begins to tremble because he remembers the promise. And he says, and, and basically he's, he's trembling because he comes under the fear of the Lord. And it's like, God did this. God intervened because I was unwilling to obey. And then in meekness, instead of saying, nope, Jacob, get back in here. Right? I do that with my kids all the time where it's like I, something, there was miscommunication and I mix their names up and it's like, oh, like it's a, uh, well, I'll say this. A lot of times the big battle of our house is who has to take a shower first. And, uh, and I mean, you'll never believe it. Just 24 hours later, they cannot for the life of them remember who took a shower first the night before because they, we take turns. And so like, I'll listen to one. And like, all right, go get in there. And then they, and so they'll run in the room and then I'll be like, no, hang on a minute. Judah or Ezra or Emma or Mike or whatever your name is, get back in here. Like you're trying to trick me. Esau could have said, no, I'm the dad. Jacob, get back in here. We're giving the blessing to your brother, but he doesn't do that. He chose, he messed up. He realized that he chooses humility and he chooses God way. All right, let's begin to wrap this up. Number five, number five. And this, this goes to, uh, the, the verse that we see in Hebrews eleven twenty 20, that, that by faith, Isaac passed it on to Jacob and Esau. It takes a meek faith to pass something on to the next generation. And that's one thing that I love about our church is that we're all about raising up the next generation. I keep telling Stacy, we keep, we keep having all these um, young leaders do our chapels at Christian Ministries Academy and they're just so good. 
like Hunter, Chloe, Colton, Savannah Simmons spoke last week and it was powerful. And I told, I texted Stacy while Savannah was speaking, I was like, hey, four weeks in a row, like I'm working myself out of a job, <laughs> right? But it would be an insecure leader that says, nope, I'm not gonna make way for them, I'm gonna do it, right? That's what I love, one thing that I love about Tim and Paul is they, they make way for young leaders, right? So like Tim has been, Tim is twice as old as I am, I'm 33, I'll let you do the math, but He's, he, he's, been preaching the, he's been preaching the word as long as I've been alive. And so for him to move out of the, he could, he could preach a sermon on Isaac with his eyes closed, like not looking at any notes and I've spent like six hours on this. And he could come up and just do it so easy, but he moves out of the way and he's on the front row taking notes. Like that's a secure leader. That's a leader who has a meek faith passing it on to the next generation. Here's the baton. I'm not gonna force my way. It's not gonna be all about me but I've got something that I can, and, and listen, to hand off a baton when something is going so well, that's like, that's, that takes a meek faith. To trust that God will see it through, this is a huge part of living by faith and not by sight. Living by faith and not by sight. Because it's something that you, like, I, 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 here, we'll look right here in Hebrews 11, verse 13. All these people died still believing what God had promised. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it all from a distance and welcomed it. They agreed they were foreigners and nomads on earth. Obviously, people who say such things are looking forward to a country they can call their own. If they had longed for that country they came from, they could all have gone back, but they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he had prepared a city for them. So all of these people died not seeing the promise not seeing what was going to take place and we've got to know everybody in this room we're not promised tomorrow we're, don't worry about tomorrow let tomorrow worry about itself and all through scripture you see the theme of raising up the next generation one of our main one of our main um, jobs as believers is to is to make disciples of all nations to raise up a young generation to raise up kids in the way that they should go to raise up a generation to take this thing from us and take it even further than we took it and not being jealous of what they get to see but rejoicing in what they will see that i never got to see this is where like we've we've really got to come to a place church where we're not so we're not striving to make all of our dreams come through because sometimes you're what what the dream god gave to you is sitting across your dinner table in diapers and they may see more than you ever got to see. Are you okay with that? Is God enough? Is it okay that it's good? Think about everything that God told Abraham. Look at the stars. Look at all this way. And he had one kid. Well, he did two kids. But one kid, one son of promise. And then Isaac, all of this. And he's got two sons. That's wild to me. It takes a meek faith to not force this thing to happen, but trust that God is going to see it through in the next generation. As we close today, just see this, man, we just, Jesus is such our example of meekness. He was a humble, gentle servant. It doesn't mean that we live as people's doormats, but he lived in the kingdom. He lived in a greater reality. His joy, his peace, his patience, his love, his faith wasn't dependent on his out, outward circumstances. He lived by what he could not see, but what, what, by what he knew was possible. In a world of living by feelings, being humble is revolutionary. In a world of violence, being meek is a revolutionary act. 
I'm not saying that we are pacifist. I'm not talking about the, the, the roles that the church and the government, all those things play. I'm talking about our roles as lives, our day-to-day lives, the dealings of his children is what I'm talking about walking in meekness. Because there is a way that seems right. In the end there of his death, it may seem right. You may want to punch that guy in the face, but he may be stronger. He may, you know what I'm saying? Like there's a way that seems, like it, this feels right. This is what I want to do. That's not what God has called you to do. Peter pulling his sword to defend Jesus seemed right, but it wasn't the time or the place. We are called to be people of meek faith who prefer others over ourselves. We've got to remember, got to remember that, that this call to follow Christ, it's all about selflessness. Self-centeredness is the opposite of love. It's the opposite of the gospel. I'm supposed to love my neighbor as myself. That doesn't mean that I get caught up in this self-love movement. That means that I, that I care for that person like I care for my own body, like I care for my own self, my own well-being, like that I, that I want them to feel how I want to feel. When I look at our, our teenagers in CMA and in youth group, I think, man, I, I want them to feel the love of a father that I was missing at one point in my life. That's to love somebody like you love yourself. I, I, I want them to know the love of God. I want them to experience this. I'm going to lay my life down so that they can. Blessed are those who are meek so they, because they will inherit the earth. God is looking to entrust great things to those who are humble, to those who are tenderhearted, to those who have a soft heart for even the enemies of God that wouldn't wage war against flesh and blood, but would fight for them in the place of prayer. Come on, church, we're supposed to be a people of meek faith. Did y'all get some out of this tonight? All right, stand with me. It's 757, just turn 757. Glory, God is real. I saw some of these too. I saw some of the, you think I don't see and check in your watch, but I see it. You know. I see it, I'm just kidding. It's fun. Don't miss Sunday, church. Don't miss Sunday. God is doing some amazing, incredible things in our ministry. Don't miss. I told them, I told them on Sunday morning I was going to be taking attendance, that a lot of them had been coming. And I know you look to your right and left. Who's not here? Get them here on Wednesday nights because it's always powerful. So let's pray. God, we thank you so much for this time. We thank you so much for what you're doing in our church. Help us to be a people of meek faith. Help us to imitate you, Jesus, in all that we do. Strengthen us. Help us to be a people of self-control a people who are gentle, people who are kind, a people who are strong enough to walk in self-control, to walk in love, to prefer others over ourselves. Teach us what it really means to be, me- to be meek, God, that we wouldn't take your promises into our own hands, but we would trust that you are going to fulfill all that you said that you were. We thank you for tonight, Lord. We seal this time in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. God bless church. You're dismissed. Thank you for listening to this message from Christian Ministries Church. If this message impacted you and you'd like to sow into our ministry, you can give at cmchurch.com. If you'd like to listen to more of our messages, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Just search for Christian Ministries. God bless.